Hello and welcome to Touchline from myself, Casper Els and Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Cas. Nice being back and chatting some exciting rugby, prospects of the Six Nations and so forth. Yes, Six Nations kicked off last weekend with the three games, Italy versus France. France beating Italy 50-10. Then England, Scotland. Scotland beating England 11-6. And then Wales, Ireland. Wales coming back, beating Ireland 21-16. Your thoughts on these games? Well, firstly, it was nice seeing some international rugby again. Um, the Six Nations is always uh, hotly contested, so um, people follow it worldwide. And obviously, being in Europe, it's a, it's a passionate sport over there. And, and lots of prizes at stake and, and bragging rights and so forth. So um, now we started off with the with Italy-France game. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the Italians have never really been there. I saw a stat today that in the in the whole of the Six Nations competition since they've been playing in it, they've only won 26 games out of 100. Um, and it shows you the difference in levels between themselves and teams like, like England. Do you think um, a coach like Franco Smith will make any difference there? Well, I think so. Um, I think... <laughs> It, it's it's difficult to say from a from a coaching point of view if structures aren't in place and you don't have maybe the funds and so forth. Um, like all the other countries in the world, Italians have South Africans playing for them. Um, I'm using South Africa as we from South Africa, obviously. So things change over the years. You know, you get citizenship and and so forth. So um, I. If I were the coach or in charge of the rugby union, I would actually scout worldwide and say, right, we don't have what it takes at home, possibly in the whole 30-man squad or whatever, so we need to source somewhere. Um, yes, you need to bring them in on a three- or four-year period for them, firstly, to qualify, um, but that's a gamble you need to take because you need to do something to strengthen it. I mean, if you look at Argentina, Argentina have grown over the years. Look at Japan. So it, it's possible, and Japan don't only have Japanese playing for them, you know. So it is a possibility. Um, well, Japan, Japan had a South African captain in the World Cup. Yeah, no, well, that's how, that's how it goes. So, so the, the, the things here is, uh, yes, an ex-line one as that. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, and that's how it goes. So I think planning and structures is very important. Um, I'm not for one minute saying Franco Smith isn't the right person or he is the right person, but he can only do as much as is given to him. Um, look, and, and, and in the past, they've they've had games where they've tested whoever they've played right until the end. I mean, they've beaten South Africa before, um, you know, and there's a few other teams that they've beaten before. So if you beat them once, there's a possibility you can always do it again. The sad reality is that they faced a France side that is full of youth, full of running. They back themselves. There's a lot of things happening in France because they're building for the next World Cup. And, um, you know, to get 50 points in your first game is, is, is sad, actually, for the, for the home team. Um, but France is definitely going to be the team Well, to taking beat. nothing away from France, they played some brilliant rugby and, and you could see that French flair game. Definitely. I mean, none, none more like their little nine, um, who's now been rated as possibly the best nine in the world. But that's, you know, the French have been like this for years. You know, if they pitch on the day, they play with their French free and whatever. I think it's changed, though. 
um, of late. I think they pitch more often than not. Definitely. Um, and they are definitely going to be a, a force to be reckoned with playing in the World Cup in France. So, um, yeah, and obviously, I, uh, you know, we, we wish them well as well. There's a, there's a South African as part of their coaching staff too, and that's how it's happened worldwide now. You know, you get you get foreign coaches coming in at that specific union. So, and, you know, it's a professional sport, so you need to bring in whoever's going to help you build on that specific side. And then, uh, you know, if you look at the England-Scotland England, game. First time um, in 38 years. Yeah, and, and, and rightfully so. Look, it, it's, it's been coming for a while. The Scots have been speaking about this is the time and, and under Gregory Townsend, um, they say he's, he's getting things right. Um, having said that, though, and not taking anything away from, from the Scots, the, the English were a bit undercooked. There was a few injuries. There's a few disciplinary things why they didn't select players and so forth. Um, a, a, a question mark that I have, and maybe it's a respect thing, is that Many of the Saracens players, for example, Owen Farrell is one of them, hadn't played since the Autumn Nations Cup last year. Uh, and yes. now you go straight into a test match like this. Um, you know, so I don't know what the thinking was behind it uh, and, and so forth. I mean, we we sitting on the sideline looking in. Regardless of that, though, the Scots took the opportunity. They backed themselves. And, you know... They probably played the better rugby as well in the day, and and good for them, you know, good for world rugby. You need you need to sorry, I'm saying this now, it but is. you need the minor or the minor teams to to beat the so-called bigger sides. And I mean, England at that stage were world number two, played in the World Cup final, so they had all the backing, and and the Scots were the underdogs, and I'm happy for that. They got a beautiful anthem as well. Yeah, and then the the English players that couldn't behave once again. Like they've done in the in the World Cup final, um, I see there's a, an article by Peter Brown having a go at them for chirping the the Scots. Yeah, look, it's sad. Um, you know, I saw a few pictures as well of uh, some of the England players, and they say the last time they looked like that was when they lost in the World Cup final. Look, no one, no one's, no one likes defeat. Um, that's just how it is. Um, but you are right. Sometimes it's it's better not to say anything and take the feet uh, on the chin and move on because you're not always the better side or the better person. There's some people that at the, on the day do things better than yourselves. And look, as I said, you can't take anything away from the Scots. Having said that, the Scots played with 14 men at one stage as well. You know, so um, rightfully so. And I think they deserved it. But it also works this way if a, if a minnow side gets that sniff that it's a possibility, then the bigger team is on the on the back foot. So And the Scots pulled it through. Well, good I think, luck to them. I think the Scots targeted this game as well because they wanted to win it. They had the players' names on their jerseys in that number that won the last time 38 years ago. So they were targeting this game as one of the big ones that they that they want to win. And I think the players went out there with a, with a mindset that they want to win. Yeah, look, I think there was a lot of belief coming from the Autumn Nations Cup because yes. Scots did reasonably well there. Um, obviously, they built. Um, there's a couple of phenomenal players that they brought in. I mean, if you look at Duan van der Merwe, they left wing, yes. South African-born. I mean, that guy is so big. Yeah. The try that he scored was phenomenal. Um, you know, then you look at their general play, but the self-belief, similar to the French, their self-belief is what is what is building. And a win like this, I saw an article where Gregory Townsend, their coach, said the monkey's off their back now because now they know they can beat the English. 
So, um, you know, and, and, and you are right. I think they did target this game for the, well, I won't say the simple reason, but one of the reasons knowing that the English side is probably undercooked because of many of their Saracens players hadn't played. Um, they had injury issues. They had disciplinary issues. So the time was right. And and being the first game of the tournament, I mean, they play France. They play France on the weekend. Oh, sorry, they're playing Wales on the weekend. Wales, yeah. Now, Wales beat Ireland. So they will feel that they stand a good chance of beating Wales. And, and it's great for... Well, I think it's people. also the media um, during the week that said Scotland's a slow starter. They've always been. And I think they had, they had a point to prove. They wanted to win England. They wanted to have this game in the bag, this specific game. And, and they wanted to show people that they can actually start proper. Look, um, other, than, other than all the targets, I just think beating England at Twickenham, firstly, yes. um, huge. takes a lot. So for an for a underdog team like the Scots to come through and actually pull it off speaks volumes to the character of the side, yes. speaks volumes to the preparation that the coaching staff has had and obviously their vision that they have going forward. So if you had to base it on, on this weekend's games, um, where Ireland played Wales and obviously Italy played France, then for those two games, the Scots are probably, I won't say favourites, but with the French, looking at possibly ending second if they don't, if they don't win it. Having said that, though, um, consistency is, is the key here. So if they can, can pull it off against Wales on Saturday, then it's a different story. Then, obviously, they need to beat the, f the French, for argument's sake, to take it. But yes. consistency is the key. They've got youngsters coming through, a lot of self-belief, a lot of passion passion there as well. I mean, when that anthem of theirs plays, people yeah, worldwide say that's the best anthem that there is in the world. Um, but the, the, the passion itself is a, is a key driver, but their belief is there now. There were rumours post-World Cup about Gregory Townsend and whatever, but he stuck to his guns. And obviously the players believe, I mean, he had clashes with, with some of the players. All of that has now been sorted out. And they play, they play decent rugby, so it's, it's absolutely great. And then the Wales-Ireland game, in my view, a game of two halves. Ireland playing in the first half and they outplayed the Welsh completely in the first half. And then second half... The Welsh came back and outplayed them. Yeah, look, it's uh, yet again, it's a difficult one playing with 14, 14 men for... Yeah, but still, I mean, for, for, for most of the first half, they outplayed the Welsh with 14 men. No, 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 100%. And, and uh, what happens a lot of times is the teams that have 14 men go on to win. That's happened how many times as well because they know they need to step up a plate and they need to defend more. But I think at this level it makes it very difficult because your bench plays a massive role, yeah? Because if, if I'm not mistaken, um, the player was sent off around about the 13th minute already in the, yeah. in the first half. Um, <clears throat> so at this level where there's a lot of rugby, there's a lot of playing in specific areas in the game, lots of defence, makes it difficult for 14 guys to defend the whole time. Um, you know, if you look at Wales, all their, all their possession that they had, they couldn't score. Um, and that speaks volumes again from the Irish point of view, their defence and the tenacity that they have on the field. Um, having said that, though, the Irish actually played quite well um, in, in a lot of areas of the game. Um, you're speaking about two different halves and that. And I think from an Ireland point of view, yes, you, you lost the game, 
But I think there's a lot of positivity that they could take out of that specific game. Um, they know they are a good side. I mean, the, some of the phases that they put together and where they ran from, you could see they are a quality side. And, and they are a quality side. So um, then again, Wales, if you look at the Autumn Nations Cup, where they hardly won game, to where they were now and beating Ireland, yes, it was at home, um, but beating Ireland yet again is, a, is no mean feat. I mean, you can't just pitch up and think today you're going to beat Ireland. Um, so I think the Welsh will take a lot of a lot of positives out of this game. That just makes it more interesting to watch the Scots play the Welsh on Saturday because I think that's going to be a humongous game. It's going to be a big one. And then looking at the fixtures for this coming weekend, we've got Saturday the 13th, we've got England versus Italy in England at 16.15. Then we've got... Scotland facing Wales in Scotland at 18.45. And then on Sunday the 14th, you've got Ireland versus France in Ireland at 5 o'clock. Yeah, that's mouth-watering stuff, isn't it? So if, it you, is. if you look at the past weekend's games, now obviously the Scots were winners in their game and the Welsh were winners in their game. So that's that's two winners playing against each other. And then Ireland and France, yes, Ireland lost, but they're a quality side. I don't think they'll make many of the same mistakes that they did. Definitely not. Same um, mistakes. But if I can can call it, um, obviously England... Can I write this down? Yes, you may. (laughs) England, England, obviously, I think will will take it, unfortunately. The Scots-Wales game, I think, is going to be a cracker. But Scotland playing at home at Murrayfield... um, with their belief that they now have in, in possibly winning, I would go for the Scots. Ireland, France, it's a tough one, but I think the French definitely are on a different level. I'll, I'll put my money on it now already. I think they'll probably win the Six Nations. Um, and they know they don't want to get derailed. Look, they had a they had a easier start, if I can put it that way, um, to find their find their way in the Six Nations by playing Italy last weekend. So their real test will be against Ireland. But they are a quality side. They've got youngsters coming through the ranks that you won't believe. Um, They're skilled. They've got a few South African locks that are big Big boys. boys. Um, So they lay the platform. And obviously when that French flair kicks in, then they can run you off the park from their own 22. So um, as I said, I think it's England and Italy, Scotland, uh, Italy, England game, Scotland will beat Wales, and then France will take it in in Ireland. Let's see. (laughs) We will talk about it next week. Sure. Then moving on to the Guinness Pro 14 and the Rainbow Cup. South Africa has got four sites um, participating in the Rainbow Cup. Um, The Bulls, the Lions, the Sharks, and the Stormers. Now, a couple of interesting things about the Autumn Cup is or the Rainbow Cup, not the Autumn Cup, sorry, um, is that we will only, or our sides will only join after the Pro 14, going into the Rainbow Cup. So if you look at the stats, there will be 57 matches played in the Rainbow Cup. And the Rainbow Cup and the Pro 14 together, there will be 154 games in total, of which 97 will be Pro 14 games, which we don't participate in and then the 57 in the in the rainbow cup your thoughts on this rainbow cup well it's exciting for south african rugby um i think 
worldwide, even if you listen to people that, that know rugby and that are involved in, in rugby at a higher level in Europe, they are all talking positively about fourth South African sides joining. Yes. Um, I think it adds a different flavour. Um, you know, they always speak about the brute force of the Southern Hemisphere teams, so on and so forth. On the other hand, from a South African point of view, and that's why I've always backed the idea of playing in the in the Pro 16 or 18, whatever it will end up yeah. in. Um, so if you if you look at that, you know, traditionally we've always played New Zealand and Australia, and of late Argentina. So the Southern Hemisphere. It's the same flavour because we play Super Rugby against the same sides. Now we'll play in the Rugby Championships against New Zealand, Australia and, and Argentina. And our prov provincial sides will play Pro Rugby. Um, what is interesting there as well is that all the European sides will tour South Africa um, yes. over the weeks. And South African sides will only go to Europe I think for three or four weeks or five weeks on end. Are they talking about two and a half week trips? Yes. Um, playing all their games. So, so it, makes it, it makes it interesting. The other part, though, is, and, and uh, I hate to be bearer of negativity, uh, but one needs to have a look at COVID and the, and the restrictions that will come in there. You know, for a traveling side, might need to be isolated first and so forth. So it makes it very difficult. And I think partly that is part of the reason, you know, if you look at Super Rugby where we played against New Zealand and Australia for argument's sake, it always made it difficult for the South African sides to travel because they had to be away for five to six weeks at a time. So the way they've set it up in pro rugby, I think it favours all teams um, because obviously in Europe, they just fly across the sea or wherever it is, and they're in Italy or in France or wherever it is. So we South Africa need to fly quite quite extensively. But having said that, from a development point of view for rugby itself, in world rugby, I think it's the best decision that could have been made because now finally you don't only have international sides competing north versus south or northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. You now have winners of their provinces and their franchises competing against the best in Europe. And I think that's fantastic. And I see that they're talking here about the, the double-edged sword. Um, for, the, for the British and Irish Lions players, it will be an opportunity to play against the best South African players, the Springbok players. And, and the same goes for us as Springbok rugby players that haven't played a single game as a Springbok since the, the World Cup final will give them an opportunity to measure themselves against the best in Europe. But it just makes sense. You know, if you look traditionally, as I said, on an annual basis, South Africa play New Zealand, Australia and Argentina more often than playing Northern Hemisphere. The yes. only time we get to travel is at the end of our season, which is basically the, the start or the middle of the Northern Hemisphere season. So we travel in November, December, um, and we don't get to play all the international sites. Traditionally, you either play Italy, maybe Scotland, and let's say France, and then you go, next time you go Wales and, and, and Scotland maybe and someone else. So yeah, you will play all the franchises from all the European top clubs. Um, and that is something that these guys will, will cherish forever because they don't get that opportunity. You know, the Springboks, as I said, will travel abroad once a year and play three, maybe four. We don't, we don't play Grand Slams or anything like that, yeah. unfortunately. I, I see they say yeah, that um, 
The Rainbow Cup will kick off on the 17th of April and it will be played in two pools of eight teams made up of two Irish teams, two South African teams, two Welsh teams, one Italian team and one Scottish club. Yeah. So it's two pools and then the, the winner of each pool, the top finisher of each pool, will then play in a final on the 19th of June. And that will be... That will be that. There's, there's no other playoffs. It's just the final of the two top top sides. Look, I, I think it's, it's brilliant. I think the way they've done it, more so, obviously, a lot of COVID has come in here as well and restructuring the pro pro series and so forth. Um, you know, I think we have brilliant players that are going to participate in this tournament. Conditions, though, is going to play a massive role here. You know, in South Africa, everything is dry. There's hardly ever any rain in our winter times when we play, but when you go to Newlands, possibly. Um, now we're going to go north. We're going to go play up there. The underfoot is going to be different. Kicking game is going to play a massive role, I think, in the in the northern northern hemisphere. So our mindsets with regards to player strategy and game plan and that might differ going to Europe and then coming back to South Africa. And it's and it's great. And how do you develop? your skills in that by doing exactly that. So I think from a Springbok point of view, that's the best thing that could have happened because we play in the Northern Hemisphere often. So this will just give us the, the opportunity to hone in on those specific skills. The first season or two might be very difficult for us to play there like we saw with the Cheetahs and, and the Southern Kings. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's many things that we would have learned from that. But I just think from a South African development point of view and where we want to go as world champions... Um, I prefer that than just playing against Southern Hemisphere. But I'm sure guys like Jake White will know what the European conditions are like and, and what needs to be get done to, to get the job done. Agree. Um, you know, you have coaches like a Jake White that, that has been there and done that with Montpellier and yes. wherever he's been. But the players take the field. The players need to get used to conditions and so forth. So it, it, I think there will be a lot of off the field or out of practice um, training sessions as to what it could be like and how it would be and whatever. The Springboks that have played there a few times already would would have an idea, but we got so many youngsters coming through that has never played there. But it will take it will take the odd ones. Oh, but uh, with but our Super Rugby well. and Curry Cup being played in in December or over December in our rainy season, I'm sure they'll be they'll be used to it. No, it will definitely. It would it would have benefited us to having the different seasons in, in South Africa while we played now for the first time as well. But yes. I mean, if you look at a lot of our Curry Cup, and that's what you're referring to, some of the games that were played in the Curry Cup, uh, we could sooner forget. And part of that was the conditions because we're not used to it, you know. So, But that's how you learn. So I don't think it would be an issue. I'm just saying that maybe the first season or two, and I'm not coming up with any excuses or what we might battle, but, I mean, one franchise might not battle, you know. So we are world champions in the Springbok side of it. So these players know they have South Africa to play for. So they'll be, definitely be up there. Talking about the World Cup and being world champions, it was announced that the Under-20 Championship, Rugby World Cup Under-20 Championship, has been cancelled due to COVID. So we won't see that. And South Africa... Ended third in in the tournament three years running, 2017, 2018, and 2019, respectively. So our under-20s had something to prove, and I'm sure they wanted to go there to to better that third third position. And now it's been cancelled. Uh, look, if you if you 
bring the countries in, like you've just said, it's, it's, it's a real pity for us. Well, for all countries worldwide, not to showcase their stuff. But I think where the sad part is, you know, as you grow older and you go out of age group rugby, you don't possibly, you won't possibly have the opportunity to represent your country again because the pool gets so much bigger. And it's sad for these youngsters, but obviously there's no schoolboy rugby, so the SA schools tournaments are aren't uh, obviously going to take place. This tournament's not going to take place, and for the next year, possibly there won't be any rugby at that specific level. Then you talk careers and you talk possible contracts or whatever, and it makes it so difficult for these youngsters not to put a hand up to play. But world rugby, I mean, uh, all the all the teams in the world, we rely on our youngsters coming through, and it's really a sad part of where we are. It just means that these youngsters coming out of school and, and even the schoolboys are going to be the prime of rugby for probably two years, if not more. And, and sadly, you know, you... you no matter how you look at it, it's like it's like playing any sport for that matter. You can produce things on the training field, but you really see your worth when you are playing a physical match because obviously yes. there's there's so many variances there, for example, pressure. Um, but it's sad for these youngsters because um, other than the fact that they're all wanting to play, some of them would like to make a career out of it and it just puts you on the back foot. It does. Talking about world champions being world champions and sadly our juniors being deprived of the opportunity to go and play in a world championship. The world rankings, I see the Springboks are still top of the world rankings. Now it's weird knowing that we haven't played in more than a year and yes. we are still at the top there. Um, just shows you at the time before COVID hit us after the World Cup, how well South Africa had done. Um, and you're right, um, England England was still lying second. And it, the, the table has changed over the last week or so. Obviously, it changed slightly in, in the Autumn Nations Cup yes. and obviously in the, in the championship with New Zealand, Australia and Argentina as well. But the rankings as we stand after this weekend still see South Africa... Uh, being first, um, which is actually great being seeing that we're the world champions, but it's just weird that we haven't played in more than a year. So South Africa is still sitting on 94.2 points. New Zealand have now leapfrogged England, obviously because they lost yes. against Scotland. They're sitting on 88.95. So, I mean, the difference there is five points, so it's quite it, a bit. It just shows you how much those two games that New Zealand lost in the in the super uh, in the um, uh, championship, championship yes. how much that actually hurt them. Correct. And losing against Argentina, there was was one of those that Correct. hurt them. So if you look at England, I mean England were docked nearly two points by losing to Scotland. Yes. So it makes a massive difference. So England have now gone down to third position. They're on eighty-seven point four nine. So obviously, if they win this weekend, they might go back to second spot. France are still at fourth, where they were. Uh, before this weekend's game on 85.30. Ireland are still fifth on 83.42. And then, um, without mentioning the points now, Australia is sixth. The Scots are still seventh, unfortunately. Uh, having said that, if Scotland beat Wales on the weekend, there's a possibility they might move up because uh, Australia are 83.08. And then um, Argentina are now ninth, and they were eighth. 
Wales, Wales took their spot because they obviously won. And then Japan is sitting on 79.29. Those are the top 10 in the, in the world. So Japan in the top 10. Yeah, which is great. Which is great. Yeah, and then if you look at South Africa, as sad as it is that we're not playing, our margin was so great. And obviously it also helps that New Zealand, England and France, for that matter, um, either win every now and again and lose every yes. now and again. So they keep taking are they quite points away or getting gaining equally points. Equally matched. So, so we are safe at, at the top for, for a while. Um, but long may that continue. <laughs> <laughs> And then we had the announcements of a, a couple of players that are um, going to hang up their boots. Yeah, it's interesting from a Sharks perspective. Um, one of our old stalwarts, uh, Luwazim Vovo, he has hung up his boots. Um, the one that I'd like to mention here is J.P. Peterson. Yeah. Luwazim Vovo and J.P. Peterson obviously being Springboks. If you look at J.P. Peterson, he's been a stalwart of Sharks Rugby for, for many years in the Springboks. He played 137 Super Rugby games and over 180 in total for the Sharks games. He represented the Springboks on for 70 tests. He played for Panasonic White Knights in Japan, played for Leicester Tigers, and he played for Toulon before he returned, um, I think it was mid-last mid year. He has now been offered a coaching position at the Sharks in the junior ranks. Um, so whatever he's learned and whatever he's obviously going to put back into the into the union and all the youngsters, and according to him, he's looking forward to it and congratulate to, to the Sharks and to JP. Thinking about JP now and seeing him or saw him in a jersey not so long ago, just before the lockdown, you won't actually think that he's got that kind of resume behind him, that he's been in the game for so long. And, and, you know, in Europe, I think they play a lot more than we do in South Africa. Um, hence the fact that, you know, he's, he's been all over the show and represented so many provinces or, or clubs worldwide. Um, and I do speak under correction, I think he's only 32 or 33. So, um, you know, to have all those gaps, you know, if you add it up, you're looking at three, 400 gaps at the end of the day as a rugby player at that level. I think your body takes a bit of punishment. It does. So, um, but yeah, all all does. good luck to him and to the Sharks, and and may he be very successful. Good luck to both of them, and may all their endeavours in the future be successful. And then something that's quite interesting is Jake White talking about Francois Ochard coming back. Yeah, the Vodacom Bulls are obviously. Um, sourcing some more artillery to come to the Bulls. Um, part of Jake White's plans were obviously to bring seasoned campaigners into the Bulls structures, and Francois Ochard is one of them. Um, he played for the Springboks on many occasions. Um, obviously, positions. Yeah, so, so, but what has happened is, I don't know when they surfaced or when they realized it, but I think his contract experience or comes to an end now in the next month or two. Um, but part of the problem here now lies the fact that he's up for British citizenship come the end of 2021. So if he leaves and he comes back to South Africa, then obviously he's going to miss out on that. So the, yes. the question mark now lies whether he will actually forfeit that and come and play for the Bulls or 
maybe stay until the end of the year and then join the Bulls. But then, you know, I think he's about 33 now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's still a fighter character. He still plays. He's still the starting nine for his for his uh, club overseas. So, um, you know, the Bulls are, are obviously building on, on something massive and they've got a proper plan for the next few years as to where they want to go. I think they can afford with the with the money that they've got at the province at the union as well now where they can afford to bring in older guys like the Francois Hogarts and the Mornay Staines and the Dwayne Familians because of the structures from grassroots levels and they've got so many youngsters coming through that I think in five years time um, that feeder system and the academies and things like that will, will feed them and they will they will actually be fine. So but it would be nice to see Hogart play for the Bulls again. That's his that's his province in, in, in South Africa, and it would be good to have him back in South Africa. I think you will have the same sentiment as what uh, Monet Stein had to say, that he wants to finish his rugby where he actually started it. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you look at him playing overseas now, he's still full of it, you know, so he still runs yeah, around. He still, still go for a couple of years. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you get some players that play till they're 38 at that level, you know, so and the odd ones even, even longer. Um, but being a nine... And just also depending on on the type of plan and what your where are you feature in that specific plan, um, I think he will still and he's a fiery character, so I think he will still be available to play for the Bulls for a number of years. So, but it would be sad if he didn't come back. But I do, you know, if 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 you were in his shoes and you had to weigh up, he is a professional. He gets paid there to play there, and just a few months or so, and you lose out on a British citizenship. I don't think it's too difficult to think where he's going to go. Yeah, let's let's watch the space. Let's see what his his plans are. And then on the on the local front again, a mums and Toti seventy fifth anniversary. Please be on the lookout for all the challenges and um, all the events coming up, all the merchandise that will be on sale. Watch our social media and our website. And all the WhatsApp groups. Definitely, it's exciting. Um, you know, players players have all bought into the challenges that are taking place. They have. Um, the boys are wearing their toti stepouts on a Friday with 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 pride. Um, then the challenges that are that are being set out there. Everyone is following that. Um, obviously few challenges to come we'll get the communities involved and sponsors involved and all of that so and then yeah if we can ask just for people to like and to share and to let social media go buzz to to make everyone aware of what's happening in Toto Rugby Club put it out there that then from us yeah touchline Mark thank you very much thanks guys always a pleasure being in studio definitely is from myself, Casper Els and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week.